Well, good morning, church family. It is an honor to be with you all today, and I hope you realize that you are in the presence of royalty today. And it's not me. It's definitely not me. But we have a king in our presence. Sam Eddington, I'm getting payback for everything you've ever done to me, (laughs) is homecoming king at Pitt State University. And yeah. I'm telling you, the whole six degrees of Kevin Bacon, he is proving that he is my one degree of meeting pretty much anybody I need to. So uh, I know the president now of Pitt State, but that's, you know, beside the point. But, uh, you know, Sam, obviously aspiring for greater things than I ever did when I was in college. Uh, I got made fun of the other day by my mom and my wife about how easy physical education degrees are. And... Uh, I don't remember why we were talking about it, but uh, we looked forward to not having class on those days. And it was, Heather was like, well, we needed to learn. Because, like, you know, if you miss nursing school, you don't locate the appendix and you pull something else out when you're not supposed to. You miss physical education class and you just learn you're not throwing a ball the proper way. So there's a difference. But uh, I had a roommate in college, and I've talked about him before. His name is Mark, and uh, he is a good friend of mine. We still keep in touch. And I remember through college and just our friendship, we got into some intense ping pong matches. And I credit him for me being the greatest ping pong player in Southeast Kansas today. Uh, if Cole Miner were here today, he would be able to attest to that. But um, anyways, Mark and I, we would always play ping pong. And we got bored just playing because uh, he'd always win. And so he saw it as an opportunity to, you know, kind of make some money off of me. And so we started, we didn't play for actual money. We played for energy drinks. Heather, it's where my addiction started, I guess. But uh, we played for energy drinks called Rippets. They were a dollar. And so every game we would play, I would lose. I'd owe him an energy drink, uh, one Rippet. And then he would con me and be like, double or nothing. And I got up to like owing him 15 energy drinks. And I, I went into debt to the guy. And every time I would try and pay him back, I'd be like, hey, let me get this one. He's like, nah, I just like having you owe me. I like having that over your head. And it's like, you sorry, punk. I owe him two to this day still. I messaged him and was like, how much do I owe you? He said two. I think it's more like six, but he gave me some grace there. But it was funny because whenever we would play, no matter how hard I worked, no matter how much I tried to pay him that back or to win it back, to earn my rippets or my debt back, I never could because it just grew more and more. And it it was always fun, but it seems like we get that way with God a lot of times too, where it's like, hey, I'm going to try and pay you back, God. Like, God, I know you gave me this gift, but let me actually work for it. Let me, let me try and earn it back. We, we find out that the more and more we try and earn it, though, it seems like the debt gets deeper. I mean, have you ever done that? Have you ever made this promise to God? That was the last time. One more time, God, and then never again. And then you realize you're back in the same thing, making the same promise to God again, and you are falling through the same pit of despair. And that's the beauty of the gospel, though, is that we are forgiven. 
I mean, the, the beauty of the gospel is that it's not based on how hard we work or whatever we strive to do. It's not based on a single thing that we ever can do, have done, or will do for the rest of our lifetime. That God forgave us completely when we received it in faith. And so we have been forgiven. And as we go into this model prayer, as we continue on with the Lord's Prayer, Jesus enters into this section where he now teaches us to pray for forgiveness, but also, as we have been forgiven, to forgive other people as well. But in the reality of it, when you think of the depth of the, the debt that you owe to God, and that God freely forgave you, have you ever thought, who would do such a thing? I mean, have you ever thought that? Like, who does that? Who says, there's nothing you can do to pay me back. I'm going to just wholeheartedly forgive you. There's nothing you'll ever be able to do to pay me back. The debt's been canceled. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight, or tonight, this morning, about why we're forgiven what we've been forgiven, and ultimately what that calls for us to do, how we respond to that. So we're going to be in the Lord's Prayer. This is Matthew chapter 6. If you'll stand as we read God's Word, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So we've been reading the whole thing, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and then our emphasis today and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you'll join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much. Just again, for who you are, God, that you, you are God and we're not. Thank you for being a God that loves us, a God that just is involved in our lives. And God, you're not distant, but you're near. And God, we need you to be near. We need to fix our eyes on you. And so God, we need your help to do that. God, may we just draw our focus to you in this time. And God, may we see who you are and may you be glorified in this message. And then God, may we in turn be transformed by it. God, to you be the glory in all things. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. So have you ever really thought about the debt that you owe? I mean, have you ever really sat down and thought about exactly how much it is that you technically could owe to God? Like the debt that you had developed and grown into and the debt that you had just over time accumulated? I mean, it's not really a fun thing to sit down and talk about. I mean, we love to be like, forgive and forget. I'm never going to think about it again. Just this week, a lot of my past sins flooded into my mind again, and it was just like, oh my goodness. Like, let's never bring those back up. Let's just leave those in the closet. Skeletons in the closet, they can stay there. But it's like, man, God, the wrongdoings that I have done to you are immense, but it seems like maybe the longer we become, or the longer we are Christians, it seems like the further we can get to thinking of the debt that we owe. 
I mean, you know, you start doing religious things. You start tithing money. You start serving. You start attending. You start doing all these religious things. And it's easy because pride loves to creep into our lives. It's easy to start thinking, hey, the debt's been somewhat paid off, God. Look at that. I don't owe you so much. But in reality, the debt that we owe God is so, so deep. I mean, we might have this mindset of, you know, I needed forgiveness back in the day. Yeah, when I was, you know, living according to the world, when I was doing all that stuff, I needed forgiveness back then. But today, I got this covered, God. I don't need you to forgive me so much. I mean, that's kind of what the Galatians thought. Whenever Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, Because they're thinking like, hey, all right, we received the Spirit, and then we're going to work through the flesh to maintain everything. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul starts off just saying, are you so foolish? Really? You think that? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Like, you started with the Spirit, but you received forgiveness through the Spirit, but now you think, hey, I'll work harder. Hey, I'll go through and I'll fulfill all these things, and that's what's going to maintain my salvation. And Paul's like, no way. That's not how it is. You're not forgiven based on anything that you have done or ever will do, aside from placing your faith in Jesus. Aside from claiming that he is the only way to salvation, that is where we receive forgiveness by saying, God, I cannot do it. I need, I mean, it's all in the work that Jesus did. I mean, think about this. The the depth that God forgave us. Would you forgive somebody who who insulted you? I mean, let's go beyond that. Would, Would you forgive somebody who was abusive And then they came to you and said, I'm so sorry. I won't ever do it again. And yet you know they're going to do it again. I mean, let's not even go abuse. That might be a little deep. Uh, Let's say they lied to you. Like, hey, you broke my trust. I'm so sorry. I I will never lie to you again. And it's like, that's a lie in itself. Would you forgive them? I mean, in reality, we probably wouldn't. We'd be like, you're going to really have to earn it. You're going to have to prove it to me. And now there's discretion. I'm not saying like just full-heartedly like reveal everything. But look at what God did for us. Every time it's like, God, thank you for your forgiveness. I will never do that again. And then we do it again. And it's not like God is like, you, you said you would never do it again. I can't believe you did it again. Had no idea you were going to break your promise. It's like God knows. It's like God knew before we were even born, these are going to be all the millions of ways that they're going to let me down. And yet I'm going to send my son to die for them. God knew every single sin that we would ever commit, and he said, I'm going to send my son to be the sacrifice. They can never earn it. They'll never be able to pay me back. But I'm going to freely give them this gift of eternal life with me. I want to be in relationship with them. Yes, they're going to turn around and take it, and then they're going to say, God, I don't want your salvation today. I don't want that relationship with you today. I don't want you. I'm still going to send my son. I mean, that is the depth of God's forgiveness. Romans chapter 5, 
tells us this. While we were still weak, still just turning against God, still not living for him, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. That's you. Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die to come, or he didn't come to die for the religious elites. He came to die for those who were going against God. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still saying, forget you, God, I want nothing to do with you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I mean, just look at that. Three different times Paul is saying, this is when Jesus came to die for you. Not when you had it all figured out. Not when you decided to give your life over to him. Not when you finally made that promise that he was going to believe enough. But while you were still ungodly, while you were still weak, while you were still a sinner, you're still a sinner today. While you were still against him, enemies, Christ died for you. He did not wait for everything to come together. He said, I'm going to do it before to prove they can't earn it. Because they never will be able to. It is his work. Why would God do that? Have you ever thought of that? Well, because we're good people. No, we're not. Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12 tells us no one does good, no one seeks after God, no one is righteous, no, not one. Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody is good. Nobody can sit there before God and say, yeah, but God, it's all, the, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. It's those people over there. It's, it's them. It's not me, God. Really, come on, tell me the secret. You would have died for me because I'm worth it, right? And it's like, no. It's not because of who you are, but because God is love. Because God loves you so much. Not because of who you are, but in spite of who you are. God has that much love for you. I mean, Jesus, while he's walking on this earth, talking to all these people, he pretty much tells us, hey, you know how they're going to know that you're my disciples? If you love one another. And he's saying, not just if you love one another, but if you love your enemies. Because look at the pagans and the tax collectors. They love people who love them. Look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees love people who are going to give them something. But this is how they're going to know that you're truly my disciples. If you love your neighbor as yourself. Because that's how God loved us. He didn't wait for it to be earned. He extended it before it ever could be earned. And I think we need to truly understand, and I'm not truly understanding it yet, because it is that Marianas Trench, the, like that's the deepest place in the earth, in the ocean. And it's like deeper than that God's love is, that we cannot get to the bottom of it, but we keep diving. I mean, look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Have you ever thought of that really? 
that God is for you? I mean, I heard this passage in a sermon this week, and a lot of people flip those around, that God is against you. That's the view a lot of times. Because of what I've done, God is against me. That God is not truly for me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against you if God is for you? Well, I mean, you know, maybe the government, maybe our enemies, maybe whoever. No. God is for you. That trumps everybody who can be against you. Because God loves you. Here's how much God is for you. He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. So if he's going to do that, how much more will he not graciously give us all things? Okay, so who's going to bring a charge against you? You're, you're a Christian now. Satan's going to try. He's known as the great accuser. Satan's up there trying to say, yeah, but Andy, he, he, you know, if you knew what he thought, if you knew what he looked at, if you knew what he said, if you knew what was really going on, God, you, you would not. But God says through Paul, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's going to condemn you? The only person who can is Jesus. And he's the one who died. More than that, he was raised And he's at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for you. He's not up there saying, God, why did we forgive those people? I mean, do you know what they thought this week? Do you know what happened in that church among these people who claim they're with you? Jesus isn't up there saying that. Instead, Jesus is saying, look, as we sang, I'm a child of God. It's not who the world says we are. It's who God says we are. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. And then Paul goes on to say, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Danger? No. Sword? No. Your sin? No, because that's been paid. If you receive Christ, your sin has been covered. The only thing that can separate us from Christ is our own rejection of him. Is our own saying, God, Jesus paid for my sins, but I'm not going to believe it. Jesus says, if you come to me, I will receive you. And so God has forgiven us. Why? Because he's God. He is God and he is love. And I believe that when we realize the depth of God's love for us, then it helps us realize the depth of God's forgiveness because the two are one. You know, God's not just up there saying, I love you, but I'm never going to show it to you. Instead, there's the song, Love is a Verb. That love is an action. And God shows his love in the fact that he gave his only son so that we could be forgiven. And Jesus, he he doesn't just say, hey, you know what, your sins are forgiven. He compares our sins to debts. He says your debts have been canceled. Have you ever figured up the extent of your debt? I mean, right now you can figure up the debt that America has. Our debt right now is 130% of our GDP. Which means that even if all of our income as a nation were to be fed towards the debt, we're, we're not paying it off. That's pretty much the equivalent of the Christian's debt to God. 
that no matter how hard we try, from this moment on, you could live an entirely perfect life and you still would owe a debt that could never be paid off. But yet God forgave you. God said, you know what? The debt has been canceled. Even if you think <laughs> I'm not that bad, I only sinned one time. James tells us in James chapter 2, 10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. It's really not that bad. You know, I just lie a couple times a year. James would say, <laughs> you're guilty of it all. You have broke the entire law. You are just as deserving of death as Adolf Hitler was deserving of death. You are the same as him that all sin for the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So no matter which law you broke, the smallest one makes you guilty of breaking every single law. But yet we think, that's okay, I'll pay it off. I'll up my giving 20%. I'll up my serving five hours a week. You know, God, we'll, we'll get this. We'll, I'll pay you back because a lot of times we don't like being in debt. I hate being in debt, especially when Mark says, don't worry, I enjoy having you be in debt to me. It just irks me. It's like, come on, let me pay it off because that's how we are. A lot of people are at least. Some people are okay being in debt. That's fine. You can cover my cost. But a lot of people are like, no, I don't like having that over my head. And we don't like not being able to make things right with God. Honestly, the thought in itself, say you think you're good enough, the thought in itself that you could pay God back is you falling short. It's pride in your life. It's thinking, hey God, it's okay, I got this one. I don't, I don't need Jesus' blood, I'll, I'll cover it. And that's, that's so wrong. We reject the sacrifice that Jesus made thinking that we can earn it, that we can work for it. Colossians chapter 2. He tells us kind of where we were. You, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were dead. Dead people don't come back to life on their own. But God made alive together with him. He forgave us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You know, God didn't just cut the cost. He didn't just say, hey, if you sign up with me right now, 50% off your debt. I mean, a lot of banks are going that route. He said, no. If you place your faith in Jesus, canceled, wiped free. You don't owe a dime and there's no interest on it. I'm not gonna come back later down the road and say, hey, actually, I could use a couple uh, of your payments now. He says, no, that has been nailed to the cross. It is finished. God took the payment of our debt, which was death, that we were supposed to pay, and he paid it with his son's life. I mean, again, the depth of what we owed God and the sacrifice that he made is so astounding. I mean, like, I, I really want us to understand how much God has forgiven us, how much God continues to forgive us, and what it is that God forgave us. 
because Jesus goes on in this prayer. And he says, when you realize how much you have been forgiven, you will forgive. That you have been forgiven so that you also can forgive other people. He tells us this in, chap in, in Matthew chapter 6, right after the Lord's Prayer, verse 14. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you, for, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Because if you are not willing to offer forgiveness, it shows you have not fully received and truly received the forgiveness that God gave you. Jesus talks about that in a parable that we'll hit on here in a second. But he is saying, you know what? Look at how much I forgave you. And now go and do likewise with the same forgiveness that Christ gave us. Because Peter, he approached Jesus one time. And he was like, hey, Jesus, you know, we've been following you for a couple of years now. We're pretty, we're pretty religious people now. Um, how many times do we need to forgive our neighbor? Can, can there be that cutoff date? So, okay, Jesus, I'm pretty religious. Uh, how about not just seven times, because that's what your word says. What if I forgive them 70 times? Look at me, Jesus. And Jesus says, I tell you, not just seven times, but seven times 70, which really, who's going to count that long? And Jesus doesn't intend for us to cut it off at 490. He says, continue to forgive unending because that is God's forgiveness for us. We like to measure our forgiveness based on the world. And God is saying, actually, there's one standard that you should have for forgiveness. And that is my forgiveness for you. That is the extent that we are called to forgive. I mean, here's the parable. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. This is right after Peter said that. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. We had marriage night last night and they talked about this parable and he said 10,000 was as high as they could count. So really, it's like he would have gone to trillions today or gazillions or bazillions, whatever made up number they're coming up with now. That's the debt that he owed. And notice the guy's like, just give me a little bit more time and I'll pay you back. I don't know about you but I'm not gonna make a gazillion dollars in the next week, year, or lifetime. And so he says that the guy's like, hey, just give me a little more time and I'll pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt that you owed and you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, Jesus is saying, when you see the debt, the lifetime upon lifetime upon lifetime that you owe to God, and you receive that, but you don't offer it to your brother or sister who really is a minor thing compared to what you owe God, and you don't offer forgiveness. He's saying, have you really understood it? Have you really received the forgiveness from God? So what's the extent that we forgive God or forgive others? Paul says this in Colossians 3. You bear with one another. If somebody has a complaint against another, forgive them. Okay, how many times? Seven times 70? No, he says, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. I'm glad he throws in that word must, meaning it's not optional. It's not like, mm, not going to do it this time. God says, the extent that I have forgiven you, you go and forgive everybody that has offended you, hurt you, done wrong against you. And there are a lot of major grievances that might be in this room. And I'm going to say that God would still say, forgive. Because think of the grievances that we have done against God. Again, we have to relate it to that. We can't relate it to, yeah, but Andy, you don't know because you've never been through that. I might not, but I'm not the one saying this. It's God who knows far greater than I know. And he's saying the same thing. Forgive them. To not hold that debt against them, to not wish ill upon them. Now, that being said, again, there's discretion. That if your physical life is in danger, find safety. If, if you're in a dangerous situation, obviously come find somebody here and we will help you. We want to walk through you with that. But that's not an excuse to still hold hatred and bitterness and resentment against them. To forgive them. God says, as much as I have forgiven you, so you also forgive others. Jesus even says that in his prayer. And I, I said this prayer a lot. It's not hit me until this week when I read it. Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So God, to the extent that we've forgiven others, forgive us. What if we really ask that? God, I want you to forgive me as much as I have forgot, forgiven my worst enemy. How would that look? God, I want you to forgive me as much as I'm forgiving that person that I avoid, can't stand, run away from. So, God, do that for me. It wouldn't look good. It would not look good. Thank goodness that's not the way that God is. Thank goodness he doesn't forgive us to the extent that we forgive other people. Because that would be a very superficial forgiveness. But instead, he tells us, forgive as I have forgiven you. And may that be, I think it's more that we are praying, God, help me forgive the way that you forgave. Help me understand that. Help me grow in that. Help me understand how much, God, you have forgiven me. Because again, God offered forgiveness before we repented. 
God offered forgiveness before we could ever and will never be able to pay him back. And that's the thing. God still offers forgiveness. I mean, praise God for that forgiveness. That there is nothing I can do to earn it. That there's nothing I can do to lose it as well. That he has forgiven me. That nobody in this room can say, but Andy, you don't understand. These are the offenses that I have done against God. He just won it. He already has offered it. He's already extended forgiveness to everyone. He says, this is, as Paul pointed out, this is my body, this is my blood. It is offered for you for the forgiveness of sins. Which ones? All of them. Paul says to Timothy that God's desire is for all men to be saved. God gave his son so that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say whoever believes and lived a good life, whoever believes and got everything together first. It says if you place your faith in him, you have eternal life. If you haven't done that, it's available. God's forgiveness is extended. What we do is we walk in that. We accept it. We receive it as you receive a gift. By just taking out your hand and grabbing a hold of it, by, by knowing, God, I can't pay you back. You have canceled the debt, so I get to walk in forgiveness now. You have forgiven me, and so now I get to go and forgive others. That's what you've been called to do as well. First off, if you have not received God's forgiveness, it's available today. But if you have received God's forgiveness— are you holding on to unforgiveness? Are, are you not forgiving to the extent that God forgave us? Are you wanting to play the, yeah, but game? Yeah, but you don't really know. Yeah, but God would make an exception in this case. Yeah, but this is what they really did. Are you forgiving to the extent that God forgave you? Colossians three thirteen. bear with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How has the Lord forgiven you? When you were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. He forgave you all of your trespasses. He canceled the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the tree. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for the forgiveness that you have offered. God, thank you just for who you are. That you, out of love, have canceled the debt that we owe. God, may we walk in this forgiveness. I pray for everybody here who has placed their faith in you. God, may we, may we grasp the depth of the forgiveness that you've given us so that we can go and forgive others. God, there's unforgiveness in my heart. And I repent of that. And God, I just pray, help me forgive others. God, help everybody in this room who has unforgiveness to walk in the forgiveness that you have given us. And then, God, I pray if there's anybody in here who has not given their life over to you, if they're playing that, yeah, 
but God, not this sin. You won't forgive me for this. Show them that it is that sin that you died for, that it is them that you gave your life for so that they, along with all of us, could be in relation with you. God, just speak to our hearts in this time. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.